Welcome to Better Than Nothing. What you are about to hear is just me being able to speak with some amazing people that come from many walks of life. In a few moments, we're going to talk about livestock judging, those people who are the ones brave enough to walk out there in a show ring, let's say at a cattle show, and be able to, in front of the exhibitor, the parents, and the grandparents, sort those cattle and select them down to the one that becomes the final champion of that show. This episode of Better Than Nothing is brought to you by Concept by Iowa Hearing. Your hearing is our priority. Visit iowahearing.com or call 877-955-4020 for a free hearing screening. That's 877-955-4020. Now, I have the opportunity to do this because I'm at the home of Dick and Colleen Burns, Colleen and I are uh, both farm broadcasters from a long time ago. Uh, She is truly a pioneer in the broadcasting business, uh, starting a couple of years before I did, but being, of course, much younger. And uh, her husband, Dick, went to University of Illinois after he came back from Vietnam, and they have entered uh, many years ago into the livestock business. Uh, Colleen was quite the showman when she was a young girl. And here we are today, both of us uh, slightly senior citizens, Dick, (laughs) sitting here at your place. Thank you very much for your couple of days of hospitality. Oh, you're welcome. It's great to see you, Ken. It really is. Let's talk about how you got into judging livestock. I I take it in college or in high school, you were showing and you were also judging on teams. Well, I I started out in 4-H, grew up on a farm, and uh, my mom and dad were firm believers in 4-H and, uh, you know, showed cattle and uh, had some success. Um, Then I went to high school and graduated and then went to the Marine Corps, Um, was served in Vietnam and uh, came back to the University of Illinois uh, on the GI Bill. And um, there was a, uh, I I played football for a while and then Mm -hmm. um, I uh, decided that that wasn't the future for me. So uh, I was fortunate enough to get on a livestock judging team with Waco Alberts as our coach. And uh, that team was very, very successful. We won just about – well, we won every contest we were in but one. We won the international. And uh, that really, you know, got my interest going. But I, th- I think the livestock thing is whenever – I think you're kind of born with it and you grow up with it. And, and that's what you really, really like. And that's and I, I, like, the, I like cattle, you know. Well, in the uh, cattle and hog business – through our lifetimes, mm-hmm. the ideal animal has changed. Right. You know, we look at some of these dog breeds and watch the AKC shows, and they've got a standard of perfection. Mm-hmm. But in the livestock industry, based upon the needs of the people for the end use of that animal, it's not what it was in 1930. No, no. You know, in 1930, we were producing lard type animals because oil hadn't been discovered yet in Pennsylvania. And after they discovered uh, oil in Pennsylvania, then we turned over to the meat uh, animal. And, uh, you know, whenever I was a kid, we were weaning off 300-pound calves and uh, thought we were really doing well. And uh, last year on this farm, we, we, we weaned off some 900-pound 
KM. Wow. So, so the, the same age as those had yeah, been yeah. at 300. Right, right, right. So we changed we changed the uh, industry quite a bit. But like Colleen, my wife says, if you don't take change, um, it, it'll take you by the throat. So you, you got to change and you you got to improve and and do the right things for for everybody. Talk us through um, your experience as a judge, and I know you've judged in many states and internationally. In fact, Colleen has all of your uh, name badges here and the places you were, and very few of them have blood on them. And uh, you judge uh, internationally as well. But when you walk out and you see, you know, 500 animals there, Mm -hmm. and you're going to sort them into classes, and then you're going to sort them past that, how do you rationally do that in your mind? Well, I think first impression, either you like them or you don't like them. Uh, you see something wrong with one, you see something great with another one. Uh, you're always looking for the perfect one, and you hope there's a perfect one in every class so you can start with it mm-hmm. in your mind. You don't always find that. But, you know, the person who, who, who was last in the class, you don't want to embarrass. So, so you know, uh, he didn't load the animal up to stand last. So it was always my theory not to talk down that animal, but to try to encourage them to see if they could get one that was a little thicker, a little longer. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I took a heifer to the county fair, and there were only two heifers in the class. And I hate to say this, but the judge looked up, and without walking over to us, he said, first place to the other heifer, second place to mine. Son, you're lucky there weren't three. <laughs> well... I, I've been in that position too, but you know, I uh, I really enjoy judging. I have now retired from that, and uh, but I, I really have enjoyed working with great livestock and great livestock people. I really have. Um, I've made some dear friends, and I probably lost some friends because of the way I place cattle. But uh, when you judge a major show, and there's really some good livestock there, it really is rewarding to to to, to work them and and. Uh, come out with the one that you think is the best, you know. I always satisfied myself because I had to sleep at night. It, it was never uh, what, what you thought was right. They hired me to do it that day, and so I did it the way I wanted to, and on down the road we go. A couple of things that come to mind of me uh, doing judging uh, as a youth and then watching it uh, later on, it is subjective. Uh you can't be objective, but you, you try to be. But the other one is the challenge of all day long staying out there and keeping yourself alert while you're walking in sand or right. sawdust or you get kicked or whatever it may be. Well, it's like anything else. You know, you got to practice to be a good basketball player. you got to be practiced to be a good baseball player. And, and you've got you've got you to work at it to be a good judge. You really do. you got to work at it every day. And uh, you know, we ha- you've seen our cattle here today, and, and I, I, there's some out here that I really like, and there's some out here that aren't going to be here very long. I mean, and that's just the way it is. I mean, uh, but, you know, the most I think I've ever judged was 1,300 head in one day. And uh, I'll be honest with you, at the d- end of the day, um, I, I, was, I was tired, yeah. <laughs> really tired, yeah. How much difference does it make if the person on the halter is skilled or cute? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> you know, honestly, uh, you, you you have individuals that can bring out the great things in their, their livestock by holding their head up or, you know, 
the where, where they place their feet. And some people don't have that ability. And you've got to kind of look through that. And also hair. Yeah. Uh, you've got to look through that hair to see actually what's there. And some of these cattle that they say are really deep and, and really good are not very thick, but they've got a lot of hair. So you, you've yeah. got to do that. The cuteness thing is I, I have, I'll be honest with you, a little girl with, with uh, ponytails that's uh, probably in the 10th grade. It's really hard for me to put them way down at the end of the class, but sometimes you have to do that. But they're, they're really, oh, you know, we only have one daughter, and she was like that too. So, yeah. you, you know, it, that, that's, that, that's a very good comment, though. Have we gone too far in the professionals who come in and fit these animals? Well, you know, in showing, we, we, we go to the extremes. We do. I mean, either we want them really short, we want them really tall, we want them really thick, and we all go to the extremes because they all breed back the, to the average. And, you know, it's, it's what people do uh, to bring in professional fitters and uh, to get the edge. Um, I mean, th that's part of the game. I'm sorry, but that's part of the game, and... and uh, if they can get it done, that's fine. If you, can, if you get a judge that can look through the hair and, and the fitting thing, you know, they're going to have a long day, some of them. But, uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't argue that they shouldn't be bringing in professional fitters. I, at one time, thought all cattle should be showing slick. You know, Just it would them down, bring them yeah. Up. It would be it would make a better cowboy out of out of uh, the people showing them and the guys judging them, but that 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 didn't fly. That didn't fly at all because there's too much money to be made in, uh, you know, supplies and stuff like that. Is it on the record the story you told me earlier today that they had a champion calf and they cloned him and brought him back again? Yeah. Well, yes, it is. I mean, that that's happened. Uh, Dave Faber is a good friend of mine, and and. Uh, they did that, and uh, I don't. I don't hear of any any more of that going on. But uh, I think it just costs too much money, Ken, to clone them yeah. to try to win a show. You know, yeah. but uh, I, I don't me, know. Let me ask you about judging internationally. Uh, is that a very a different thing, or did you find it to be enjoyable? No, I found it to be enjoyable. Now, you know. Um, their cattle are different. Uh, whenever you go to an area like uh, Ireland where they just have grass and they grass feed them instead of, instead of corn and because their climate is uh, cool where they can't grow much corn, um, you know, those cattle are totally different than the ones that are fed, you know, diets that we have for, for cattle today. But, uh, yeah, they are different. You've got to adjust to that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is different, but you, you've got to be able to adjust to it and see what you, you like. And even though they're grass-fed and they're not, not as, um, as highly tuned as the cattle are here in America, you, you can see good things in, in cattle, and you can see also ones that maybe aren't as square-rumped as you'd like for them to be or maybe not their angle to their shoulders not quite right. But, yeah, it's... Um, a grass-fed animal will look totally different than a, than a grain-fed animal. I want to go back in time because uh, some people may feel like I'm going to lose them, that this is not interesting to them. But if you will look at it, that all of these steers that you're judging become steak and hamburger and are the food animal that we get out of the feedlots, except these are supposedly the, the closest to perfect that you can have. Um, in the 1960s, um, Hereford cattle came into my life, and my father started working for a ranch. And these cattle were small. And uh, the 
calf that won the Oklahoma State Fair in the late 50s, you could stand at the halter and use your comb to comb out his rump, and you wouldn't have to take a step to do it. And those cattle were almost toys, but that's what the breeders thought they had to have. And they were milk-fed, and they completely, to me, were missing the boat on reality up until about the, uh, the early 1960s. Why did the breeders get so extreme on breeding these little cattle rather than going for the reality of the pasture of which their own cows were bigger? Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you'd bring that up. But I, I think um, reality is, is that um, probably what happened there was uh, the smaller animals uh, demanded the most profit for them whenever a, another breeder bought them. And so they thought, well, that's what the route we've got to go. I've seen that happen whenever we had to be an inch taller to be great. Now, there, there is nothing good about being an inch taller. Um, after you get so, so tall, your legs and all that stuff leave you. And, you know, but the market was is that if you had a taller bull than I had, then, I, then you won. And so that would demand more dollars. And it's, it's all about dollars and cents in the cattle business. It really is. Yeah. And if you can sell a short, short one, and uh, you, you, you begin believing that that's the right thing to do, <laughs> even though it isn't. But you know what I'm saying. When uh, we moved past that point, the cattle got real big real quick. Uh-huh. And uh, then they started bringing in these European breeds. Mm-hmm. We had basically three breeds of cattle, as I remember, Hereford, Angus, and Shorthorn. Correct. which were all European breeds, but uh, British breeds. And then here comes these cattle that looked like they were draft animals. They were huge. They were double-muscled. They were big. How did we integrate those into our cattle in this country, and has it been a good thing in doing so? Well, yeah, yes, it has, because uh, I, I don't think we could feed the mass population of these small breeds of cattle. You know what I'm saying? And anyways, uh what, what we don't realize is, is a lot of those cattle that were brought over from Europe were cattle that the Europeans didn't want. <laughs> they were willing to sell. Either they were, they were wild. Um, really? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so basically we brought some things in, some traits in that weren't, de- weren't desirable. But after they sorted all this stuff through, you know, you, you take the Kianina breed, you take the limousine breed, you know, the main Anjou breed, I mean, all those if you if you sort the right ones out, uh, you know they're really good cattle, and, and it makes a nice cross for for the cattle, the Angus, the Shorthorns, and the, and the, um, the the cattle that we had here in America. Well, a lot of those cattle came over in different colors, uh, red, um, browns, but recent times, I don't know how long it's been, maybe twenty years, they can't resist turning them black. So it seems to me pretty obvious that the Angus breed is now a foundational breed under literally all of these cattle. Well, they are because of uh, certified Angus beef. That, that program has really made demand for black-hided cattle. Now, the, demand, the, the, the regulations for that is they've got to have a black tongue. And so whenever you take something to the sale barn, and if they were white, Hereford-colored, or Shorthorn-colored, they wouldn't bring as much money as the black ones were, and that's why all the breeds switched to it's it's dollars and cents again. I mean, you know, if if you go if you take a load of cattle and and they bring a thousand dollars more, you know, not a head but a load, yeah, you soon soon learn that they need to be black. Yeah. yeah. What about cattle 
being shown uh, and the work you do to make them look good. But then when you get through it all, on the carcass, the grade really matters the most. Can, do you feel like you can interpret the grade, the marbling, etc., of an animal with the hide on when you look at it alive? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No, I can't. Uh, although there are, uh, you know, with uh, different uh, technology that we have today, you, you can determine the intermuscular fat on these animals. And uh, I, I would say that it's going to be, uh, in the future, it's going to be uh, one of those things where they've, they've got to have a lot of marbling or, or they won't bring as much money. Yeah. Well, in the past, you know, when you had to kill the animal to see what the carcass was. And what you're talking about is that they have uh, literally sonograms to be able to cross-section that loin eye and uh, figure out the amount of muscling. I believe when I was in college, I had a professor who had a K40 counter, which was basically a tube that you put the animal in and you could determine by the isotopes uh, of potassium what the amount of, uh, of fat versus the amount of lean was. So there's been a lot of technology that has been brought forward in that regard as far as being able to determine the potential for an animal to be a sire rather than having to put that animal on the rail, so to speak, to determine how good they might have been. Well, that, that's very true. We used to take these animals to uh, shows and, you know, the judge, we, we'd, li we'd live by the, what the judges say is, is the best. But I, I'll tell you, we're living in a world where uh, EPDs... Um, that's expected progeny difference. Right. And... and and, you know, marbling and all that stuff is, is in those EPDs. And you're changing the way the, the cattle industry was. You're, you're breeding cattle now with numbers mm -hmm. instead of how they look phenotypically. Right. I will tell you this, the, the, that I have learned in, in the years I've been in the cattle business, that cattle that have got some thickness to them don't necessarily have as much muscling in them. It's the ones that are a little, little slighter build in muscling that have more intermuscular fat. And that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. It uh, seems to be a contradiction, really. Yeah, right, 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 right. But uh, it, 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 the, thick, the, the real thick cattle will not have uh, as much marbling as you'd like to have. Do you find that these show cattle are as likely to all grade choice as a pen of steers that somebody who knows what they're doing picks and feeds without any other activity besides what normally goes on on a feedlot? No, I, I think the feedlot thing is, is way above the show steer thing, I mean, as far as marbling, you know. And, um, but, you know, here again, it all depends on the genetics of the calf. And uh, I think the show steer thing, you want them as thick as you can, and therefore you're going to give up some marbling. Speaking of genetics, another advancement. I am amazed at what is going on now of finding these cows, for example, that are superior mm -hmm. and being able to... Uh, mate their, their, uh, them with a bull, um, either in reality or in a test tube, and come up with many offspring that have superior traits? Well, I mean, technology has made it so we could have just one cow here on this place and all the other cattle would be, you know, would have embryos in them of, of that one cow. So you, you could have probably as many as as many eggs as you could get out of that female. Uh, we could have 100 calves here and all of them be out of the same cow and same bull. 
Yeah. Now, if we've lost you, we're not talking chickens here. We're talking <laughs> being able to get the eggs from the, the uh, uterus of the cow right. um, and to be able to put those in surrogates and uh, the breed, bred to become embryos and surrogates that, ra that, that grow them. And then when they're born, they are all full sisters, for example. Or full brothers. And that's interesting. You know, we've done quite a bit of that, and it's interesting. There's still one of them that'll be really good and one of them that'll be really bad, huh. even though they're full brothers and full sisters. I think, I think it's no different than, than full brothers or full sisters of human beings. You're totally different. Really, you are. Genetically, you're the same, yeah. but you're totally different. How do you feel about this narrowing of the gene pool? Is that dangerous, or do you think well, that we still have enough breadth that we're okay? No, I think we're okay. I mean, we, we, you know, I don't know that we're going to narrow it down just to a few bulls and a few cows and the Angus breed, um, but our gene pool is pretty wide and pretty basic. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that there's always another bull out there that, that does a little bit of better job that you want part of, that you find every year. Yeah. Let's take a moment to talk with Taylor Parker, president of Concept by Iowa Hearing. Taylor, I've heard there's a link between hearing loss and dementia. Could you tell me more about the correlation? That is a great question, Ken, and it's one that... Um, you know, it's been a, out there for quite a few years. Johns Hopkins uh, was the first one that, uh, Dr. Frank Lynn, that kind of made the correlation. We always knew there was something going on with, you know, hearing loss, the brain, and things just weren't, weren't you know, adding up. And his research now, he's been doing his research for about over 40 years. What he found is that individuals with an untreated hearing loss, even mild, you are two to five times more likely to develop dementia. And, you know, most people will say, well, why is that? And it's, it's, you know, when you understand how hearing works, it starts to become simple from the standpoint of just understanding it. So our ears conduct sound. And then the sound then gets carried from the middle ear to the cochlea, where the cochlea, there's 15,000 tiny little hairs in the cochlea that now move back and forth that send the signal up to the brain where the brain processes that information. And when you have a untreated hearing loss, what happens is those hairs in the cochlea will either get broken, um, bent, or just not move like they used to. Well, what happens then is they're not sending a full signal to the brain. You know, you've been in radio for, for many, many years, you'll understand this. So imagine, you know, back in the day we were driving down the road, raining really hard or, you know, some kind of elements or we went underneath the bridge and the radio signal would go out and you're listening to, you know, Paul Harvey at noon and you are, are not quite getting that whole Paul Harvey. And now you're trying to piece it together. You're sitting there, you're leaning forward. You're really trying to get it all to work out. That is your brain all day with an untreated hearing loss. It's trying to piece it together and it's working harder. Well, what it does is it pulls from two areas. It pulls from cognitive, and it pulls from balance and gait to compensate for that, that gap because of an untreated hearing loss. The brain then has to work harder, it shrinks, and now we run into a cognitive issue because we've pulled from the cognitive area to help focus on hearing loss. 
that's where the, the connection now starts to come in. Thank you, Taylor. Schedule your free hearing screening at Concept by Iowa Hearing. You can reach them at 877-955-4020 or online at iowahearing.com. My guest is Dick Burns. He is a uh, cattleman. Uh, he's a livestock judge. He and his wife have been friends of mine for the last 50 years. And uh, I love touring your farm today and to be able to see your cattle. I'd like for you to, for our listeners, and you can do this, I think, put in perspective what you would consider to be a, uh, a weaning age steer calf that would be ideal today as far as the way that you would describe the way they look. Well, you know, they've got to have some length. They've got to have some volume to them. Um, I'm a stickler on, on uh, soundness. They, they've got to be able to move. Um, and, you know, a calf that it can gain four and five pounds a day, that's the kind of cattle I'm trying to raise right now. So not all of them do that. Not, not near enough of them on, on this place do, does that. But that's the kind of cattle that I would like. That, because, Ken, pounds is money. And that's, that's what I'd like to do. But, you know, the show steer is not that way. They, they don't want them to grow as fast as they They want them to get a little thicker and a little more bone. They, they won't grow as fast. Uh, but if you're raising them for commercial and the bulls I sell to people, they like to have them long and, and grow really, really fast. Could you talk about bulls and how you make sure that when you're sending a bull out there, he's capable of doing his job uh, for several years? Well, that's probably a, a problem we have in the in the industry right today. Is we got these cows producing so much that their longevity isn't as good as it isn't as long as I'd like for it to be. Uh, their udders fall apart or something like that. And the same thing with a bull. We used to be able to use a bull for seven, eight years, and and I don't do that anymore. The reason I don't do it here is because genetics change so much rapidly every day that you've got to you've got to improve it every year. And if you got a bull that's seven years old, you're behind, way behind in, in genetic improvement. Yeah. You really are. I wanted to finish up with a bit of the color of the industry because, you know, you can get down to it. Uh, they're worth more if they're black, uh, that uh, this is a trait you should have and this is a trait you shouldn't. And that probably bores people to death. But the characters, Dick, and you're one of them in your industry as judges, they have been some of the most delightful people in my life. There was a man by the name of Joe Lewis from Alfalfa Lawn Farms in Larned, Kansas, who was a breeder and a judge. And you may have gone to school on how he did it, but he was truly a character. But yet people loved him and respected him to the day he died. Well, Joe was one of my mentors. I mean, uh, he, he entertained the crowd while he was judging. He really did. Uh, a good example was a really a beautiful lady was showing a steer at the Illinois State Fair, and, and he put her in second. But he got on the mic, and he said, Honey, you're in first place, but your steer's in second. <laughs> you know, just, just comments like that. And, and it made people laugh. And so I tried to, I tried to mimic him uh, as much as I could. I, I knew Joe pretty well. Uh, rolled some dice with Joe every once yeah. in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I had a great time with him. But uh, I think the, the next, this younger generation, you know, they've went to school to learn how to give reasons. 
and all they talked about is a can set of reasons why this animal, you know, is thicker, longer, yeah. you know. But they don't put the the uh, Joe Lewis side of judging into yeah. it. And I think more and more that needs to be done. And like I told you, you know, you can judge a major show and not have any problems. I mean, everybody will congratulate you on the great job you do. But you go to a county fair where you've got a grandma standing in the stands, and if she don't think you're doing a good job, she will voice her opinion. <laughs> well, Joe Lewis had a good line for that. I asked him one time, what's the last thing you do before you pick the grand champion steer? What was his answer? I have my friend start my truck. <laughs> <laughs> start my truck. <laughs> Point it out toward the road. I need to get out of here because only one person is truly happy with what you do at the end of that show. Well, my theory on that is that they're 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 happy, but they think you're just lucky that you found the calf. You know? <laughs> <laughs> did you have a guy come up to you one time and offer to feed your dog? Uh, well, I did. I was just in the world uh, beef show in, in Wisconsin, and uh, <laughs> it it was really funny. I got done with uh, the Pinsgars. I don't know if you know that breed of cattle or not, but. And he came down from the stands, and, and he said, you know, Dick, you don't need to hurry home. I'll, I'll feed your dog for you. And I said, my dog? He said, yeah, your CNI dog. And I, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Well, I guess it means that people understand that this is a, you know, a subjective thing, and one judge may go one way and one judge may go another at some point. But in general, what I've found is all good judges generally you're going the same direction but I will tell you I know people who want to show steers their kids and they wait until the judge's name has been picked to judge the next year before they buy the calf well I mean it, I, I, I never did do that with our daughter I mean uh, you, you don't know who well anyways I, I understand that one one judge might like this type of animal another judge might like a you know, let's take a guy who, who raises Angus, he'll probably pick a, a, a black-headed animal. I mean, that's just common sense. But you take a Charlet breeder, he might pick a Charlet steer. So I understand. Yeah. I understand what they do. Yeah. 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 Well, as you continue on, you're raising uh, quite a few Angus cows. And uh, are you putting any of your animals out to be seen? Or has the Internet taking it to where that you don't have to put cattle out for you to show them off? It's all the Internet. It really is, Ken. I'm sorry, but it's all, it's all changed. We don't have to go to fairs now with cattle. Uh, you can sell cattle in California and Georgia off the Internet. And uh, it's, it's amazing. People will buy an animal that they haven't seen, but they know the bloodlines. They know it's pretty good. So, yeah. Do you think we have uh, uh, a ways to go before we get the, the ideal animals for the feedlots, or can we just say that taste may change? Demand may change. You know, we sell a lot of beef overseas now. Is Are we still looking to the future on what these animals will look like and how they'll perform? Well, I, it's always changing. But I will tell you this, the cattle market, I've never seen it higher than it is today. It is really, really high. You know, you got steers, feeder steers, bringing $1,600, $1,700 a head. And... Uh, I, you know, they, they say the cow numbers are down, and I agree with that, but the pounds of beef we're putting on the market with, you know, you're going from 300, 400, 500 pound weaning weights up to 7, 8, 9, the pounds of beef is still there. I, I think it gonna, it's going to get down to what the consumer can afford. And um, I just read an article where chicken breasts are 
60% less than they were a year ago in value. Um, so I don't know, I don't know which direction the cattle business is going, but I do know this. You've got to have pounds and you've got to have a cow that is bred and looks good if you want to stay in the cattle business. It's that simple. Dick Burns, thank you very much for allowing uh, my wife and I to be in your home and to look at all the memorabilia you have and <clears throat> the wonderful memories you have of the years that you were a livestock judge. And then we went out in the pasture today and looked at real cattle that you're still raising. <laughs> well, I'm proud of that, and it's an honor to have you and your wife here. Come back anytime. Thanks for listening to Better Than Nothing. I hope you stayed awake for most of it and liked what you heard. If you'd like to tell me your thoughts or relate your memories, send it to kenroot at gmail.com. We'll try to put out one of these every week, and you can sign up with your podcast service to be reminded when the next one's available. See you next week for another episode of Better Than Nothing.